0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Aghyeh and family
1: in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia.
2: Lessons
1: in Tanya the Tanya of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
2: In Chapter 2 he explained the soul's essence, the divine essence of the soul, how it's not man-made, it's nothing, it's not manufactured, it's something that comes directly from Hashem. That's what makes us special. What makes us special is not because of something that we do, or something that we acquired, but the most special thing about us is that we have a piece of the divine essence in the moment we're born. That's the essence of the divine soul. In Chapter 3, he explained the personality, the character of the soul, the mind and the heart and the love and the comprehension, what the Jewish soul, what the godly soul, what its mind is immersed in and how its emotions react and respond. Now, in Chapter 4, he's coming to explain what he calls the garments of the soul, the levushim, the outer garments of the soul. That Every soul, he says, every soul has three garments. And just like a garment, a garment is something external to the person. A garment doesn't feel, if you cut the garment, you don't feel pain, not like cutting uh, your finger. You wear the garment, the garment expresses you, but it, the garment does not become part of you. And garments could be changed. You can put them on, you can take them off. So the the three garments of the soul are the soul's ability to think, to speak, and to act. A person doesn't need any great great preparations in order to think or to speak or to act. You do need... Preparation in order to feel. If you want to feel something differently, if you want to change the way you feel, you want to change the way you understand. Your understanding that's very that takes that's very difficult. It takes a lot of effort to change the way you feel. To change, but to change clothing, is no effort. You take it off and you put it on. You want to do something. You want to do a mitzvah. But to change, it's no big deal. You decide, you change, and you do it. So it's not like um, changing something inside, which is internal. That's something that's part of you. That's much more difficult. So these are garments. He refers to them as the garments of the soul.
0: In addition to its ten faculties discussed in Chapter 3, every divine soul, Nefesh Elokit, possesses three garments. The soul possesses three auxiliary powers which are its instruments of expression. Like garments, they can be donned or shed at will. When the soul utilizes any of these three powers, it is clothed in them. When it does not use them, it is divested of them. Also, just as garments give expression to the wearer's beauty and importance, so too when the soul dons and utilizes these garments, its intellect and emotion find expression. They, the garments, are thought, speech, and action as they find expression in the six hundred and thirteen commandments of the Torah. The Alta Rebbe now goes on to explain how the divine soul expresses itself through these garments.
2: In other words, the, the analogy to garments is that garments are not always part of you. You can take off your hand. Take it off for the evening or take off your finger. But garments you can take off. You can stop speaking, you can stop acting. Although you can stop thinking, because thought is very internal, but you can switch thoughts. But you can't switch off your emotion, you can't switch off yourself, your personality, your character. But you could switch off your clothes. When you wear clothes, your, your, um, your the clothes are, become an expression of you. And then when you take them off, they're just hanging in the closet, there's no connection between you and the clothes. On the other hand, clothes are also the way you express yourself. A person expresses himself, your style, your personality, by the color you wear, by the type of clothes you wear. You know, clothes reveal a lot about a person, about who you are and uh, you know, how you choose to express yourself, how you choose to reveal yourself, how you choose to present yourself in public. So, to the soul, the clothes; these are the soul's the soul's means of expression. How does the soul express itself through thought, by thinking, by speaking, and through action, through deed? And what does that mean in, this, in reference to the three garments of the divine soul? That how does the divine soul express its its divine essence and its divine? Comprehension and it's divine love, emotion, it expresses them through thinking and speaking and acting in mitzvot, expressing yourself by thinking the mitzvot and speaking the mitzvot and doing the mitzvot. And by doing all 613 mitzvot, which are all action, thinking, speaking and acting.
0: For when a person actively fulfills all the precepts which require physical action, he dons a tefillin or fulfills the commandment of Sissus, etc. And with his power of speech, he occupies himself in expounding all the 613 commandments and the laws governing their fulfillments. The person's speech is immersed in the study of Torah, which includes the exposition and of the commandments. For example, Tractate Recha deals with the commandments and the laws of blessing. Tractate Shabbat deals with the commandments and laws of Shabbat observance. And with his power of thought, he comprehends all that he is capable of understanding in the Padres of Torah. The word Padres, whose literal meaning is orchard, is here used as an acronym of the four Hebrew words, Shat, Remes, Derush, and Sad, meaning respectively plain sense, intimation, homiletical expression, and esoteric meaning the four levels of the
2: scriptural interpretation. So Every soul is obligated to study and to study Tehran all its level, to enter into the Pardes. Pardes is the orchard, um, like a garden, beautiful trees. So Pardes is the acronym for Pshat, Remez, Drushay, the simple meaning, the literal meaning, the remez, the allegory, the metaphors, the hints, and the durush, the um, expounding on the on the uh, on the meaning on the word, and then um, exegesis, and then you have seid which is the Kabbalah, the secret of the of the Torah. And the Rambam says in the beginning of his magnum opus, Yadah HaChazaka, that a person should enter the should not enter the Pardis, only after he studies, he fills his, himself with the basics, which are the Talmud and the halacha, and then he can go and study the secrets of the Tayrah, the, which he calls Maise Merkaba, the, the uh, work of the chariots, the vision of the chariots, of the angels, which is the foundation of Kabbalah, of mysticism. He says first a person has to fill his stomach with bread and food. And then you can go into luxury and to, and to eat the delicacies and enter into the paradise. However, Maimonides himself, in the beginning of his book, spends the first few chapters describing maize merkava, describing the chariots, describing the basis of a Kabbalah or the basis of understanding godliness, of the godly wisdom. After saying that only someone, someone who has not yet mastered the basics of the Torah should not, should not uh, go take a walk in these gardens, in these orchards. But he himself, who r- writes the book, his book, for even a five-year-old child, for everyone, in his introduction he says, My book is written to the young one, to the kakot and kagodl, to the small one just as much as equally so as to the great Jew, from the smallest Jew to the greatest Jew. And the very first thing he discusses in the very f- first few chapters in Hilchus, uh, Hilchus uh, Deya is he talks in, Hilchus, in his Mada in the Sefer of he talks about um, the belief in Hashem and he talks about at great length and he talks about the basic understanding of the divine, divine wisdom understanding Godliness. So Bermander he seems to contradict himself. Here he says that unless you fill your stomach with the basics you shouldn't take a walk in, the, in, in this orchard, and yet he himself begins at great, and elaborates with great length, spends a few chapters discussing what he calls, refers to as might and the work of the chariots, of the angels, which is the spiritual realms and the divine realm. And the Rebbe explained, the answer is very obvious, the answer is very simple. The Rambam says, uses the expression, a person should not be metayal, a person should not like, take a walk take a luxurious walk, unless you fill your stomach with the basics, you master the Talmud and the then you can start delving deeply into these divine matters. But the very few, first few chapters that Azarambam begins, this is the foundation of all foundation, and the pillar of all pillars, is to know Hashem. So it's not a question of delving deeply and taking a walk. It's basically covering the basics. These are the bases of the entire Torah mitzvahs. A Jew must have this foundation in order to enter into the Torah, any part of the Torah. Um, the Kabbalists add that the word pardis, if you remove the samach, you remove the samach, which refers to Said, secrets, the mystical secrets of the Torah, what are you left with? Pered. What's a pered? A mule person is a mule, a person who, who spends all his life studying Talmud and doesn't spend any time studying, delving into the secrets of a Torah, a, a true Torah scholar, who's studying and is mastering the Talmud and yet spends no time makes no effort, spends no energy in trying to study the secrets of a Torah the Kabbalists referred to him as a pedant. he's a mule the Torah is telling you, you're a mule, you're only studying the prat and the Remez and the Zerush but you're missing out on the site? Because it's, it's, as the Zohar says, it's like taking the external, it's like just seeing the person for the clothes. As the Zohar says, there are many layers of, of interpretation in of the tajra. The simple interpretation of the tajra is the stories of the tajra. They're literal, they happen, they're real, the personalities, the characters. But that's like seeing a person and describing him by the clothes that he wears. You can describe a suit and the color suit. Tell me something about himself, the body, tall, short. I don't know. I just can tell you about a suit. All I see is the suit. A person goes a little deeper. A person who studies Talmud, studies the oral Tejah. This is a person who not only knows the clothes of Hashem, but also also knows, so to speak, the body. The bones, At the 248 bones, 248 limbs. He knows the 248 mitzvahs, 365 veins. He's familiar with the mitzvot and the the detail. But again, tell me something about the person. All I can tell you is how many bones he has, what his body looks like, and that's all. There's nothing more to say. Tell me something about his personality. Tell me something about his character. Give me a little psychological insight into the personality, into the person, his inner struggles, so that you have to go deeper. That you don't see in the clothes, that you don't see in the body tall, short, handsome, handsome, but tell me the personality, tell me his mind, tell me about his heart, tell me about what kind of person is he, what kind of personality, what kind of character, his fears, his loves, his hate, tell me about the person. So this is the, and then there's many layers of depth, of, of, you can go even deeper than that, even if you tell me the personality and the character, and the, that's only the conscious self, could you probe a little deeper, there's always a deeper layer behind all of that, subconscious. So you have the secrets, which is the Kabbalah, and you have dozens and dozens secrets, of secrets. So the the same Torah has many layers: Prat, Remes, Drush and It's the same Torah, but it's like it's like peeling away the onion. You know, it's like the it's like the Russian doll. You take off one, and there's another layer behind it. It's it's deeper, and you go deeper and you go deeper, till you get to the very core and essence of the person. So you can look at a person's clothes, very nice. All I know is is a person's clothes. So we have flashy clothes, we have conservative clothes. What kind of clothes do you wear? But then you go a little deeper. What's underneath the clothes? The body. Tell me about the body. Is he strong? Is he weak? But then you have to go a little deeper than the body. Tell me about the personality. Tell me about the character, his mind, his mindset, his heart, emotions. What he hates, what he loves. And you go deeper than that. And you go deeper. So that's the, the, all the different levels of the Torah, Pshat, Rem, So when, the, Jew, when the, the divine soul expresses itself by thinking about the Torah, and thinking about every part, portion of the Torah, every part of the Torah, learning the simple part of the Torah, learning the Chumash literally, and in Mikra the basic and simplest level is really the truest level, and then learning the Torah on the deeper level, the hints the allegories the metaphors of the Taira, and then learning the Taira, and even a deeper level, the drush of the Taira, and then ultimately learning the side of the Taira, the secrets of the Taira. So this is the, divine, um, uh, this is the divine expression of thought, how the divine soul expresses itself through its thought by, by hmm. in using its thought to think in Taira, to think about Taira, and then to do... To actually do all 613 mitzvah and to speak about the mitzvah. By studying and learning, you're thinking. We study using our mouth, we speak the words of Taita, so our mouth is expressing all 613 mitzvah. Our actions and deeds are doing all 613 mitzvah. The mouth expresses the reasons behind the 613 mitzvah. When you study Taita with your mouth, your mouth is immersed and engaged in studying the 613 mitzvahs, the reasons for the 613 mitzvahs. And your thought is busy understanding the Torah to the best of its ability to understand the Torah. All its different levels, all its different layers of meaning.
0: Then all of his soul's
2: 613
0: organs are closed in the 613 commandments of the Torah. Just as the human body consists of 248 organs and 365 blood vessels corresponding to the Torah's 248 positive commandments and 365 prohibitive commandments, 613 in all. The soul, similarly, comprises 613 organs, the spiritual counterpart of the 613 bodily organs, each organ corresponding to a specific commandment. When, through its three garments, thought, speech, and action, the soul embraces all 613 commandments, then all 613 organs of the soul are enclosed in all 613 commandments, each organ of the soul in its related commandment.
2: That's why we have 613 mitzvahs. Why do we have 613 mitzvahs? Because we have 248 limbs. So you have 248 active mitzvahs. Because you have 365 veins, you have 365 don'ts. So by fulfilling a mitzvah, both positive and, and negative, um, you fulfill another part of you, and another part of the soul is immersed in Torah, in mitzvah.
1: First, is, is it known what is the mapping between each mitzvah and each...
2: Each organ. organ? I'm sure it's known. Uh, I
1: was just wondering, because people who have a specific illness... In a right, it has organ. to do with that. Like the, the dead mitzvah,
2: too. I don't know if this, if this is published anywhere exactly, that correlation is that connection. I don't know, if the, I don't know, I'm not familiar if that's been published, but, uh, but the fact is there is a connection, and I guess those who know, know.
1: There, there will be a lot of times you can read in the books and people come with uh, some sickness, you would say, do that specific, you or go to put the feeling. you would say,
2: do that specific. Yeah, there was... Um, someone who had, uh, who had AIDS and they would tell them we should start keeping kosher. like um, the blood, because you are what you eat, so the, the food changes into blood. Um, yeah, many people, you would tell them to do a specific mitzvah, whether it was a heart condition or cancer. Or so so I, I guess, I mean, the Rebbe saw, I was able to tell, which when you do right. a mitzvah and you strengthen that organ, it gives health, it brings health to that organ. And when you strengthen the health of the spiritual organ, it translates into greater health in the, in the uh, corresponding physical organ, material organ. So if you're
0: not, if, if every mitzvah has a corresponding organ or vein, and out of 613, if you're a person who's performing, let's say, uh, 75 or 100, those remaining organs uh, and, and veins are not getting any benefit as a result of the lack of, Doing
2: the mitzvah. I mean, the whole person gets a benefit by doing a mitzvah. But nevertheless, there's a specific benefit that comes specifically from doing that mitzvah. Every mitzvah has its own sagula, has its own ability to help in a certain way. Because although all mitzvot are good and all mitzvot connect us with Hashem and all mitzvot are beneficial in a very general way, but specifically, and the reward of the mitzvahs for the future after Mashiach comes. But nevertheless. There is, um, there is, every mitzvah has its specialty. It touches another person. Just like the tefillin is on the head and on the heart, you know, it directly affects and impacts the head and the heart. Every mitzvah has something that it has a, trim- a unique effect and it also brings a unique type of blessing, you know, for that organ.
0: So, all illness then can be traced by somebody like the Rebbe to a uh, lack of a specific.
2: We're not saying that that's the reason why, but if you strengthen your spiritual health, you will strengthen your physical well-being as well. And that's something that the medical scientists today have admitted, have, have come to realize that you know, psychosomatic illnesses, if you change a person's psychological well-being, state of being, state of mind, he can literally transform his material, material state of mind. There's a direct translation, a direct impact on one on the other. So to how much more so that the produced spiritual well-being, the divine well-being, has a direct impact on his physical well-being. You know, when the soul, when you feel whole inside, and you feel complete inside, then that will translate also into the body, that the body will also feel whole and complete. It's when you're torn inside, you act in a way that, Makes you feel guilty or acting the way that goes contrary to the way you would like to act deep down, then you create tension. It creates very, very deep tension and that leads to, to illness. It doesn't lead to health. You know, if you're not whole inside, then it creates, creates illness. But when a person is whole inside, you're inside like outside, outside like inside, you're consistent, then it leads to health. It leads to confidence, it leads to optimism, it leads to health. There's a general excitement about life, you know, versus when a person feels jaded or cynical or burnt out or, you know, been around the block too many times. You lose that joy of life and you lose that pleasure and you lose that excitement and you lose that innocence. I have
0: to, excuse me, but I have to go back a minute because when the Rambam says that you should go into this orchard, we're not all created equal with the mental facilities to learn. Was it intended by Hashem that every Jew be able to learn the hidden secrets of the...
2: Everyone on their own level. Everyone according to their own level. I have a
0: lot of trouble with...
2: Well, actually there are. i
0: apprehending them. I really have a lot of trouble. Well,
2: it's an interesting point you bring up. Very interesting. Because there are souls who are more connected. We're going to learn. He We're going to learn in a minute. to
0: learn. Not willing to learn. Able Yeah, to
2: learn. able to learn. We're going to learn in a moment that um, it all depends on the source of your soul. The root of your soul. Like there's some souls that are rooted in the simple meaning of the Torah. There are some souls that are rooted in the, in the hints, in the hints of the Torah, you know, a deeper level of Torah. There are some souls that are rooted in the, in the drash of Torah, the allegories and the explanations of the Torah. Um, and there are some souls who are rooted and they thrive upon the secrets of the Torah. They just understand it and they respond to it and they get it. There was the Arizal. While the Ariza lived in Sfaz, at the same time, the al shul was an unbelievable shul. Because the uh, base Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo was the rabbi, the Rav, the halachic The l'chadaydi, the al was the chazan, <laughs> he was the cantor. Uh, the ramak, the Ariza, the kabbalists, the rabbis, you know. The, um, the al-sheikh was the darshan, they gave the sermons, the mish al and the Arizal, it says, the Arizal told Ar-Mesha Asher, wanted to be a student of the Arizal. But he would always fall asleep. <laughs> whenever the, whenever the Arizal would start teaching, Kabbalah, he would always fall asleep. And it bothered him so much. He didn't have the merit to learn Torah from this great master, the great teacher, the great Ari, the lion. And Arizal told them, Don't feel bad. This is your soul. The root of your soul is more connected to the Drash. You know, uh, expounding on the Torah and exegesis, and, you know, not on the secrets of the Torah. That's not where your soul is connected to. So you should, you should focus on that, and, and, and that's where he flourishes. His book, Rabbi uh, Alshuch, is Sefer. Alshuch is uh, one of the most classical and the Tejah and Drash explaining the Tejah the Midrash of Tejah Drash of Tejah but uh, the secrets of the Tejah he, he did not that wasn't his that wasn't his thing It bothered him but once he reveals Rabbi revealed him that that's who he is and that's, that's what he has to accomplish in this world so fine so a person has to know that's what he says it all depends on the root of your soul we're going to learn in a moment it all depends on the root of your soul Obviously, that has to be the emphasis. Whatever your root is, that has to be the emphasis. But a person has to know what his emphasis is. He has to know what the root of his soul is. You have to know yourself. And
0: how do you find that?
2: Like you say, you see the certain portions of the taira, your mind mind sticks to it, and you get it, while other portions of the taira you find extraordinarily difficult, and maybe that's not the source of your soul. That's only true regarding the Sayyid, which is the Kabbal. Hasidus, however, is the very essence of the Ta'id. It's connected to every single Jew. There isn't a Jew in the world who doesn't have a direct connection to Hasidus. You don't say the same, you know, like with the secrets of the Ta'id. The secrets of the Ta'id, not Jew really has a connection to it understands it, gets it, and is connected to it. But the essence of the taydor, which is the essence of every portion of the taydor that does belong to the Jew, the essence of the taydor each and every Jew.
0: But it, it said the well-springs which the Baal Shem Tov brought is the secrets of the Torah.
2: It's more than that. It's more than the secrets of the Torah. The Baal Shem Tov popularized and publicized the Kabbalah. The fact that he was able take the Kabbalah, which is hidden in secret for thousands of years, and was able to publicize it, means he was a Baal Shemta, he was the master, a true master. Only a true master could explain something that's impossible to explain, that's difficult to explain, make it so crystal clear. You have to be a true master to be able to, you know, to to reveal it, to expose it. So the Baal Shemta, who was a true master, because he mastered the essence of the Torah, so he was able to take Kabbalah and reveal Reveal, um, reveal it to the masses, that even they can appreciate these secrets of the Torah. So in order because to do that, right, in order to do that, you have to be greater than Kabbalah. You have to be, al was able to do something that all the great Kabbalists could not do.
0: Communicate there.
2: Communicate and publicize and reveal it to everyone. So why he was able to do it, no one else was able to do it? Because he was deeper than them. He mastered the very essence of the Torah. When you master the very essence of the Torah, then you can talk about Kabbalah. And you can you can talk about every any, anything in the teider comes to life when you master the essence of the Tejra, Anything you touch comes to life. But the learning prat simple, I get many pieces, um, you know, in, in, in the davening that really come to life when you understand when you understand the the essence of the teider. It comes to life on every level. Every level of meaning comes to life in in in, 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 a, in, a, in a new way. So. Hasidus is connected to everyone. In general, you have Peshat, the Emirates, everyone has to know themselves. They have to know what the root of the soul is and what the capacity is.
3: Thus, we see in a general sense of fulfillment of all the commandments of one's thought, speech, and action close the entire soul in all 613 commandments of the Torah. The Altareb now goes on to specify which components of the soul close by which particular elements. Specifically, the Chabad of his soul, namely his intellectual faculties, are clothed in the comprehension of the Torah, which he comprehends in the four levels of parties of the Torah, to the extent of his mental capacity and according to his supernal root, to the supernal root of his soul. One's mental capacity determines how much he may understand. The root of his soul determines the area in Torah for which he will have the greatest aptitude. For example, one whose soul is related to the level of shad is more likely to comprehend the straightforward meaning of the words of Torah. A soul related to remez will delve into the stratum of implied meaning underlying the words, and so on. When the person comprehends Torah to the extent of his mental capacity, then the Chabad components of his soul are clothed in the garment of thought of Torah, namely, thought as it is related to Torah. And the Midah, namely the emotions of fear and love of the Almighty, together with their offshoots and ramifications, are clothed in the fulfillment of the commandments in deed and in word, in word meaning in the study of Torah, which is the equivalent of all the commandments. The Al previous statement that in comprehending Torah, the soul's faculty of intellect clothes itself in thought, requires no further elaboration. It goes without saying that the intellect can comprehend Torah only through the vehicle of thought. His latter statement, however, that the midas are clothed in the fulfillment of the commandments in deed or in word requires further amplification. What connection do the midas of fear and love have with action and speech? The seat of emotions is in the heart. How do they come to clothe themselves in actions which are with one's hand? In Donning Tefillin, for example, or in speech where one uses his mouth, such as in oral Torah study. In answer to this question, the Altarev explains that completeness in the performance of the commandments demands love and fear of God. One can bring to his fulfillment of the commandments the fullness generated by vitality and depth of feeling only when he is imbued with fear and love of the Almighty.
2: So he's saying that that, um, the soul expresses itself and is um, reveals itself through the clothes, through action, doing the mitzvah, speaking of the mitzvah, studying the mitzvah, and thought. And then he says, and not only the soul, not only the external part of the soul is engaged in action, speech, and thought, but even the emotions. Um, also engaged in the action of the 613 myths. What's the connection? How can the emotional part of the soul express itself through the action?
3: For love is the root of a, of a Jew's observance of all the 248 positive commandments. From, from it they issue forth, and without it they have no true self. For he who fulfilled them in truth is he who loves God's name and who truly desires to cleave to him. Now one cannot truly cleave to him except in the fulfillment of the
2: So it's like a root. The, the fruits have to constantly be connected to the root. Otherwise, they'll, they'll be cut off. But we, we don't feel the root. Well, in this, you don't feel the root. Uh, you, see the, yeah, you see the effect of the root. The tree is alive. You know that there's a, there's a root that's nourishing.
3: He says each person to its level can study
0: the Torah. And he really has to study to his potential.
2: What's the connection? What's the root? He's saying over here the root he's referring to is the love in your heart for Hashem. What's motivating you to do the mitzvah? What's pushing you to do the mitzvah? What's pushing your mind to think tighter? What's pushing you to speak tighter? What's pushing you to do tighter, to observe, to fulfill the mitzvah? It's your love of Hashem. That's the root. Without that constant nourishment, without that feeling of love for Hashem and attachment to Hashem, and connection to Hashem, you wouldn't do the mitzvah. The motivation, what's the motivation to a mitzvah? motivation to a mitzvah is because you love Hashem. Out of love for Hashem, you want to connect with Hashem. And the only way to connect with Hashem is through a mitzvah. Therefore, that's what he's referring to when he says the root. He's talking about the root of the mitzvah. Without the root, if there's no love, if a Jew does does just does mitzvah technically and mechanically by rote, without any feeling, without any emotion, then that those the mitzvah will have will not uh, have no sustaining power. You won't be able to guarantee that the person will continue doing mitzvah, because the person will rebel. After a while, it grows very boring and meaningless, and it will just become very jaded and cynical, and he'll, he may stop doing the mitzvah altogether. So what nourishes the tree? What keeps the tree young, vibrant, fresh, vital? It's that constant connection. It's that love of Hashem. Because you want to be connected with Hashem, and the only way to be connected with Hashem is through tajayah So in that sense, the emotions, the love, is the root for everything that follows, the thought, speech, and action. So it's not just I'm doing thought. The power of the soul to think is involved in the mitzvah. The power of the soul to speak is involved in the mitzvah. The power of the soul to act. But even deeper than that, the actual emotions of the soul, the very personality and character of the soul, also finds expression through through the mitzvah. Because it's that's the root that's pushing and motivating you to think, speak, and act. So it's, it's enclosed within the mitzvah. That life force, that vitality of the soul, that love for Hashem, is... Involved in the mitzvah itself.
0: Then, through doing the
2: mitzvah, you affect the, the, the roots up for Chaya Yechida, for the Shorosh of neshama. Um By doing the mitzvah, by studying Taira, of course, when you do the mitzvah, also when you study Taira. When a Jew studies Taira, it's not just you're studying Taira. But your soul is studying today. The soul is far greater than the intellect. The intellect is just one part of the soul. You know, just like our soul has a body. Is the soul the body? No. But the body becomes inseparable part of the soul. The body expresses the soul. The body is alive. The body becomes inseparable. You can't take off the body. Okay, (laughs) I'm going to park my body in the closet today. I'll train another body the body becomes one with the soul, inseparable with the soul. You can't separate the body from the soul. In a certain sense, the faculties of the soul, the ten faculties of the soul, the faculty of intellect, of understanding, the faculty of emotion is really like a body to the soul. The soul is not intellect. The soul is not emotion. The soul is, is an undivisible whole. The soul is beyond intellect, beyond emotion. But the, the, the emotion and the intellect Become like the body is connected to the soul. They become totally connected to the soul. The soul expresses itself through the intellect. So when you're when you understand something, your soul is expressing itself. So when the Jew studies taira, it's not just your mind is studying titra. Your soul is studying taira. And the the, the the through through the intellect. So your soul is connecting to not just the revealed part of the Torah. The Torah is like God's wisdom, but God's wisdom is also God Himself. Is beyond His wisdom. So just like when you study Torah, there's many parts. There's the mind that's studying Torah, but then there's the soul that's behind the mind. That's that's expressing itself through the mind. The mind is just a, a tool, a vehicle, a, a, the body of the soul, and the soul is engaged. In, in the studying of Tehira, so too when you study Tehira and you're learning the divine mind, the divine wisdom, it's not just your intellect connects with God's intellect, but your soul connects, so to speak, with God's soul. So the union affects even the root of the neshama, the source of the neshama, not just, it's not just what you see. What happens is in many, 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 many levels. Even the root is affected by what happens on the, on the lower level. Because they're all connected. It's all a root. It's all connected. The middle the Rebbe, the son of the altar Rebbe, would never get an aliyah. The only time in the year he would get an aliyah was with all the children. of in You know, you call up an adult so you can make a bracha and then you call up all the children. You put them on the Natalus. So he went with all the children. He went. He... He said, why? He says, because when you are called up to the Torah and you get an aliyah, who's getting an aliyah? It's not just you that's getting an aliyah. But it's an aliyah for your nefesh, your ruach, your neshama, your chaya, your chidah, all five levels of the soul are being elevated. Yeah, you're just reading the Torah, you're reading the pshat, the simple, but the truth is aliyah means elevation. So it's not just you're reading the tayra and you're being elevated. Every layer and every level is having an aliyah and is connecting to, to that corresponding level within the tayra. So he was embarrassed, he was ashamed. He was ashamed from all these aliyahs, from all these high levels. Obviously he was sensitive and he felt it, he experienced that. We don't feel anything, so we go up to the tayra, you know. But there's a lot more happening when you study tayra, it's not just your mind is connecting to the divine mind. Your soul is behind the mind, is also connecting to the divine soul, which is behind the divine mind. It's like your soul is connecting with Hashem, directly with Hashem. So the union is also on the, on the root of the Hashem, the root in the soul, on the higher level and the root of the soul. And the soul above, the soul where it remains above, the Maila, above in heaven. So, yes, everything that we do in this physical world affects our roots affects our source, affects our... And, um, but when a Jew studies Ta'idah, so it's not just your thought is engaged in Ta'idah, it's not just your speech is engaged in Ta'idah, but your emotion that's leading you to study Ta'idah. Why, why are you studying Ta'idah in the first place? Why aren't you studying, why aren't you playing check, chess? Or studying math or physics? You want to sharpen your mind. Why are you studying Torah? You're studying Torah only out of your love for Hashem. So it's your love of Hashem that's expressing itself in the Torah, in the studying of Torah. Because that's the root. That's the motivation. That's the foundation. That's pushing it. Without that, you remove that love for Hashem. If you didn't have that divine love, that Torah is holy and Torah is divine, you wouldn't study Torah. You wouldn't bother to study Torah. You would study something else. So the fact that you're, you're studying Torah is motivated, the motivation, the energy, the push, the excitement, where does that come from? The life force, where does that come from? That comes. That's the love. That's the divine love. So the divine love is enclosed, is embodied, expresses itself, and invests itself in the Torah. So your soul is invested in that thought, speech, and action. Not just external, superficial. Your soul is invested in that thought, speech, and action. Because it's the soul's love for Hashem and its desire to cling to Hashem, its desire to connect with Hashem, and then the soul knows that the only way to connect with Hashem is by thinking tighter and speaking tighter and doing the mitzvah. That's why he's motivated to do the mitzvah. So it's that motivation and that drive, that energy, that soul feeling, emotion that's enclosed in the mitzvah, that's invested in the mitzvah.
1: Now one cannot really cleave to him except through the fulfillment of the 148 positive commandments. Thus, one's love of God and desire to cleave to Him dictate that he observe the commandment. Why is it possible to cleave to God only by fulfilling the commandment?
2: So before he said that for he who fulfills them in truth is he who loves God's name and it truly desires to cleave to him. Because otherwise, without it, it has no true substance. As we see, when a person loses his feeling, his joy, his passion, his excitement for Yiddishkeit, And it dries up, and then it becomes a burden, and it becomes a pain. And you do it more out of guilt, or just out of inertia, because you conform, you grew up that way, what are you going to start rebelling, what what are you going to do? You know, most people don't have the guts to rebel, (laughs) you know, the courage to rebel, to go against. So after a while, it just dries up, it becomes cold and distant, and and it shrinks, it shrivels. Every passing year, the yarmulke grows smaller and smaller. And, you know, before you know it, it's almost off the head altogether. And, you know, it's like everything, it's going in the wrong direction. Everything is going backwards. You know, and that's why you had so many, a hundred years ago, most Jews were observant. And all of a sudden, most Jews are not observant. Because unless you sustain, it's like the root has to be constantly nourished and nurtured. Unless you constantly nourish and nurture and you have that passion and that thrill, and that excitement, and that love, and that feeling, and that inspiration, and, uh, you know, to do mitzvot, and to feel connected with Hashem, then, then why bother? It just becomes a big pain in the neck. Then it just becomes restrictions. Don't do this, and don't do that, and don't do that, and don't do this. And, um, and then it becomes stifling, and it just chokes you can't breathe, can't live, doesn't let you live, can't enjoy this and you can't enjoy that and you can't do this and you can't do that. You feel confined, you feel like a straitjacket and then it becomes a burden and slowly but surely you, 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 throw, you throw off the burden, you just do the bare minimum, you just do it. you have to with paying income taxes, you just, you just do what you have to and that's it and you find every rabbi, every leniency, every loophole you can find and then it shrinks, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't sustain itself. It's no wonder that the Hasidim are the ones who kept Yiddishkeit alive. Because Hasidim had that fire, had that passion, had that love, had that feeling, had that connection. And therefore they kept the mitzvot alive. They kept Yiddishkeit alive. Otherwise Yiddishkeit would have long been forgotten. After World War II and all the non-Hasidic yeshivas, all the students came from Hasidic houses. There was hardly anyone left from the non-Hasidic houses in terms of Yiddishkeit. Because it's only that without that fire and that passion that feeling and that warmth, it just becomes impossible to sustain. So the mitzv, so the love, is the root of all the mitzvot. That's behind it. So when you see the clothes, you see the thought, speech, and action. What's behind it? What's the driving force? What's the energy? What's the motivating force? Where's the electricity? Where, where's the all coming from? All the the the, the life. It's very life is coming from the, uh, the soul's emotion. It's love for Hashem. It's wanting to connect with Hashem. And that's what invested in the mitzvah. Because why, why is the soul, why is that a motivation? The person's love for Hashem, a motivation to do mitzvah. Why can't love be an end in itself? I would love Hashem. Let me sit and meditate on Hashem. Let me sit and reflect on Hashem. And let me sit in bliss and just enjoy thinking about Hashem. Feeling loving, having loving feelings towards Hashem. Why is that a driving force to drive you to study Torah, to spend so many hours studying Torah, and a driving force to do all six hundred and thirteen mitzvot and to speak constantly in Torah and learn Torah and study Torah? Because the soul realizes, the Jewish soul realizes, that there's no way a person could connect with Hashem, not through emotions, not through love. Not through meditation, not through philosophy, not through religion. The only way to connect with Hashem is through mitzvah. we discussed many times that there's an unbridgeable gap between the creator and the created. And there's no way that we can cross that gap. Because we are, at the end of the day, it's like like a, a billion, a trillion, is not one iota closer to infinity than one. Because it's a whole different category. There's no connection.
0: There's no gap between the soul and Hashem.
2: No, but he's saying, even the soul, just being the soul, and just doing nothing, the soul itself, the way, at least when the soul is conscious, and the soul the soul is, cre- is also created by Hashem. So the created and the creator, there's, there's an unbelievable gap. There's, there's an infinite chasm between us and Hashem. We cannot grasp Hashem, neither intellectually, nor emotionally, nor even spiritually.
0: Including ourselves,
2: Including ourselves. Even the angels. The angels can't really grasp Hashem. Hashem is holy. Hashem transcends us. Hashem is infinite. Hashem is totally beyond us. We, we don't have the tools with which to grasp Hashem. A billion, a trillion, a zillion is not one of Yoda closer to infinity the most sublime, the most spiritual, the most esoteric, the deepest, the highest, the greatest, is that one iota closer to Hashem than the shallowest and the most material. There's no way we can approach Hashem. Hashem is unapproachable. Because Hashem is so beyond us. So how do we connect with Hashem? And the answer is we don't. Hashem connects with us. Hashem threw us a rope. Hashem gave us 613 paths, 613 ways by which we can connect with Him when we fulfill His mitzvah, that's the way we can connect with Him. That's the only way. There is no other way. So if a a soul, when the divine soul really loves Hashem and wants to connect with Hashem, and it realizes that the only way to connect with Hashem is only by doing the mitzvah, by putting on the tefillin, then lighting the Shabbos candles, and eating the matzah, and giving the tzedakah, and by speaking the words of Torah and learning, constantly learning Torah, and by thinking, constantly your mind being engaged and thinking, uh, understanding the explanations of the mitzvahs and learning all 613 mitzvahs. Because the soul is incomplete until he does all 613 mitzvahs. Which is why the mitzvah studying Torah is the mitzvah of studying all 613 mitzvahs. That's the basic obligation of a Jew to study Torah. A Jew is obligated to know all 613 mitzvot, with all its explanation, which basically includes the entire Torah, includes the Talmud and, and the Mishnah, which is really basically explaining, this, expounding on the 613 mitzvot and all its details. So someone who can study the entire Talmud, and can study both Talmuds, and can study all the Talmudic commentaries, then he's obligated to do that. But as a bare minimum, a Jew is obligated to study all 613 mitzvahs, because only then is your soul complete. Because every mitzvah corresponds to another organ in your soul, another spiritual part of your soul. So it's only when a Jew studies all 613 mitzvahs that every part of you becomes connected with Hashem. And if there's one mitzvah that you're missing, it's like, it's like you're missing a finger. You're crippled. You come after 120 years, you come to heaven, you're missing a finger. You're not a whole person. You have to come to heaven with all 613 minutes it's complete. So, if a Jew wants to love Hashem, when the Jew and the Jewish soul, the divine soul loves Hashem, and it feels that love, and it wants to connect with Hashem, but it knows the only way it could connect with Hashem, and not just in a general way, but also a very specific way, that every aspect of its soul should be connected with Hashem, specifically by studying that part of the Torah that corresponds to its aspect of the soul, by studying all six hundred years, and by studying the Torah on all levels, Pshat, Remes, Drush, and Seid, Pardis, then every aspect of your soul becomes connected with Hashem. So that's the driving force, that's the zeal, the zest, that's the energy, the love, the motivation, the fuel that, that, that motivates you to spend all these hours in studying tight and doing mitzvahs it engages and occupies most of your time because you want to connect with Hashem and this is the only way you can connect with Hashem the only path which to connect with Hashem.
1: For they are the 248 organs of the King of God of the universe as we were as is explained elsewhere just as each of the organs of a human being is a vessel for the particular soul power that clothes itself in it for example The eye is a vessel for the power of sight, ear for hearing, and so on. So is is each commandment a vessel for the specific aspect of God's will, the supernal will, which clothes itself in that particular commandment. Each commandment expresses not only the supernal will that a specific act be carried out, but also the particulars of its observance. Thus, it is understood that by performing the commandments, one achieves unity with God, whose will they express. It follows then that love of God clothes or expresses itself in one's performance of the 248 positive commandments. It is their root and life force which leads one to observe them with the totality of one's being. For when one loves God and desires to cleave to Him, he will perform his commandments as he would perform a task for a dear friend with delight and zest and with all of his being.
2: So the mitzvot... What he calls the Evarim the Malka. They're the organs of the king. And the organ draws, draws life. The eye draws the power of the soul to see. The, uh, the hand draws the power of the soul to write and to, and to work with your hands. And so so to the mitzvah. When you do a mitzvah, you're drawing. You're drawing down a certain aspect of, of the divine. So when you connect, when you do a mitzvah, your soul is connected with Hashem. Um, so the only way to really connect with Hashem is by doing all 248 active mitzvah and by fulfilling all 365
1: uh, prohibitions. Can Rabbi, how But I guess... Because what you're saying is so true that once you lose the passion, it becomes a dread and you really don't want to do it anymore. But how do you, how do you develop this love for God? I mean, because I think it's easy for your parents or a dear friend because of the nature of the relationship close to them. You, you, know, you, you learn how to love them. But how do you develop this love for God? I mean,
2: the good news is we don't have to develop, we don't have to create. It's there because Hashem is our parent. Don't forget everything in life Everything in life is only a metaphor. Where do parents come from? Where does this whole relationship of parent-child come from? It comes because Hashem is our parent and we are His child. Torah says the Jewish people are Hashem's children. Where does friendship come from? Where does that relationship come from? Because Hashem is our friend. Where does a king and a subject relationship come from? Because Hashem is the king and we are a subject. Teacher and student, Hashem is our teacher or student. Everything in the world is just a metaphor. So when you experience uh, that relationship in, you, in human, in real life, that helps you to understand and appreciate that that relationship exists. Hashem is our parent, just like parent-child relationship is an absolute relationship. You are your parents, it's unconditional relationship, unconditional love. That's exactly what our relationship with Hashem is. We are his only child. Every Jew is like his only child. 14 million Jews, but every Jew is like his only child. Imagine the love, parent, to a child that they had an older age, couldn't have children. Imagine that love. Multiply that infinite times. That's the love Hashem has for each and every Jew. Greatest to the smallest, worst to the best. And, And there's a relationship between husband and wife. Where does that come from? because Hashem is the husband of the Jewish people are the wife every relationship in this world is just, a, is just a metaphor but once you experience it on a human level then it's easy for us to relate to it then we can work our way back and work our way back and relate to Hashem that way as our parent as our best friend who's only out for our own best interests. Hashem is only our interest in mind He's not here to make life tough enough Hashem is our best friend Hashem is our father, Hashem is our mother, Hashem is our, our teacher, Hashem is our husband, Hashem is, I mean, everything, it's a marriage, a relationship. Any relationship you can imagine a picture in this world, a king, that is Hashem and us. So you don't have to create that relationship. relationship relationship exists, just like a child. Does a child have to create a relationship with a parent? You're born with it, it's inherent, it's there. It's your essence. You are your parents. So that's, that's the metaphor of the relationship between the Jew and Hashem. You just have to reveal it. Blow off the dust. Remove the ego a little. A little less ego. A little less I. A lot more bitter. A lot more nullifying your ego. Forgetting about the I. And, uh, and then, it, then it just allow it to emerge. Allow it to surface. Just getting out of the way. Like Shabbos. What does a Jew do on Shabbos? Why is Shabbos holy? How is Shabbos holy? You have to do something to make Shabbos holy? No, just get out of the way. Don't turn on the light. Don't, don't, don't do work. Don't, just don't do anything. Just get out of the way. And Shabbos is on its own. Just emerge. Allow it to emerge. You remove anything that gets in the way and Shabbos just emerges on its own surfaces. The holiness is there. You don't have to create holiness. Holiness comes from Hashem. You don't create holiness. Holiness comes directly from Hashem. So that love, that connection is divine. It comes directly from Hashem. All we have to do, active, is get out of the way. Just quiet your ego a little, remove your eye a little. Don't be so egotistical or selfish or self-centered self-absorbed. Just allow the divine neshama to emerge into the surface. So that's the good news.
0: When you said get out of the way, you gave physical, in Shabbos, you gave physical examples. You didn't answer his question with any kind of physical example. In other words, when you say "get out of the way" on Shabbos, that's very easy to understand. Don't put on the light, Don't do it. How do you get out of the way so that that, that you can love God?
2: I mean, so, yeah. So you're not allowed to do anything creative on Shabbos. In other words, you, st- you stop playing God and Shabbos. Stop playing God. It's not just it's not just physical. It's also internal. That stop creating. Stop being a macher and the mover and the shaykh. Come Shabbos, you're not a creator. You're not allowed to do anything creative. You can't even carry something outside. You can't even do something so creative, as creative, as subtly as moving it from one atmosphere to another atmosphere. It also creates a certain change. Stop moving and shaking and creating Shabbos. Just receive and recognize that everything comes from Hashem. That
0: Shabbos, what about Shabbos. The
2: week? Well, we can get a. We have to prepare for Shabbos all week. There are moments during the week that are called Shabbos when you pray. That's like Shabbos during the week. Shabbos, you're, you're communicating with Hashem. Prayer, you're forgetting about the world, you're covering your eyes, the world doesn't exist, and it's you and Hashem, you're talking directly to Hashem, you're connecting with Hashem. When a Jew studies Taira, a ta- Talmud Chachm is called Shabbos, because there are no distractions. He's totally immersed in Teirah, and all there is is Hashem, Hashem is teaching him, sitting right up front of him and teaching him Teirah, and he's learning. Nothing else exists. So, the, you can have a taste of Shabbos all week. As a matter of fact, how do you get Shabbos? think you just fall into Shabbos? You have to prepare for Shabbos six days a week. You have to prepare for Shabbos. Shabbos begins uh, Sunday. You have to prepare for Shabbos. Hayyayim Yom It's the first day of Shabbos. We're, that's the only name for Sunday. It's the first day of Shabbos. We're preparing for Shabbos. We're thinking about Shabbos. We're getting in the mood of Shabbos. So Shabbos, the theme of Shabbos, is something that we prepare for and something we carry on all week. So that spirit the spirit of Shabbos, of holiness, of recognizing that everything comes from Hashem and getting out of the way and just allowing that relationship and all, that depth to emerge into to surface. So that's, that's, um, that's the idea, the idea of Shabbos. You see, you just get out of the way, you just allow Shabbos, the holiness, just to come. You don't have to create it. That's what makes it easier. When you remember that, then it's easier to, to reveal. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have to work. There's no effort involved. There is effort involved. Getting your ego out of the way takes a lot of effort. Quieting your ego takes a lot of effort. Because it's constantly I, 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 What's the most commonly used word in the English dictionary? I. The telephone companies did a survey. They taped thousands of phone calls. What was the most commonly used word? I. But the eye always gets in the way, gets into our own way. We don't see, we don't appreciate. We don't see reality, we don't see truth, we don't appreciate what's right in front of our nose. We don't appreciate the beauty that's right in front of our nose. We destroy our own relationship. It's right there, the most beautiful thing in the world, but our eye gets in the way and makes us miserable. Most human misery is self inflicted. 99.9% of it is self inflicted. We make ourselves miserable. The soul doesn't have an ego. The soul is egoless, of course. The divine soul, but we, have, well, we, but we also have the other soul that we learned about in the first chapter. That's the ego soul, that's the natural soul. That gets in the way, that covers up. And it distorts.
0: But our godly soul doesn't have an ego. Of course not,
2: that's why it's godly.
0: So there's a disconnect then when we're not
2: between Absolutely.
0: the godly soul and, and, and,
2: and us. Absolutely, the godly soul is in pain. The godly soul is suffering. And it's unnatural. It's totally unnatural. What we think is natural is really totally unnatural. But
0: why are we so comfortable with it?
2: Because we have, because we're very distracted, and it's it's is we're living. It's, it's part of the delusion. It's, it, we live in a very false world. So you get so distracted that uh, you are asleep. When you're asleep, you're very comfortable. But you're not living, you're dreaming. It's an illusion. You're not creating anything real. In your sleep, you can, you can be a senator, you can be a billionaire, you can be president, but it's a, it's a dream. It's not real, there's no reality to it. It's very comfortable. As a matter of fact, it's very difficult to get out of bed. But once you get out of bed, how can you compare reality to sleep, to dreams? This is real and this is illusion. We're living in the world of illusion. We're living in the world of optical illusion. This is Madison Avenue. Hype. That's the world we live in. It's all a lie. It's all an optical illusion. We're deluding ourselves. And people could sleep for 40, 50 years and be in a deep sleep. But but you can always do tshuva. Even the last day of your life, you wake up and you realize, you know, the last 60 years of my life was a bluff. It was a lie. It was an illusion. Meaningless. Empty. You can do tshuva. Because that moment, that awareness is reality. That reality was true, as there all along for the last 60 years. You just were not aware of it. You got so distracted. But So we just have to get in touch with what's there already. We don't have to create anything. We just have to reveal. That's the good news. We don't have to be reborn again. You don't have to become some otherworldly saint. You don't have to recreate a personality, become a new person that you are not become some saint, to become some Muslim, to become some, some angel, to become... On the contrary, being godly and being good is the most natural thing in the world. It's the status quo which is unnatural. It's being egotistical which is so unnatural. And it's painful. And it's miserable. Everyone is miserable. You can't satisfy it. can't satisfy it. And the more you indulge, the more miserable you get. And it's broken relationships and it's misery and it's, you know, the most affluent generation in, 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 in world history and the most miserable generation in world history. So it's, it's, and, but if you get the ego out of the way and you allow the neshama to speak and to emerge, the neshama is natural, is joyous, is wholesome. It's, it's the easiest, simplest thing in the world. It's the most natural thing in the world. But we don't feel it that way. We don't perceive it that way. That's part of the illusion. That's part of the lie. And that's the whole foundation of the tanya. That being Jewish is... We're giving away the answer right in the beginning, <laughs> in chapter 4. <laughs> Sneak preview. <laughs> being Jewish is the most natural thing. It's the simplest thing. It's the most genuine thing. And it feels natural. No one ever regrets doing a good thing. You do a good thing, you feel like a million dollars. At the end of it, it was difficult, it was sacrificed, it was hard. Ah! You do something terrible. Like someone said, the difference between... Uh, when, you do, uh, um, when you do an avera, you do something wrong. When you do a mitzvah, mitzv- first you say, oi! And then you say, ah! Like, like jumping in cold water. First you say, oi, it's a thing, but then ah, it's a machay. When you do an very, you do something wrong, this is the opposite. First you say, ah, at the end you say, oi.
3: <laughs>
2: so it's, 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 it's but at the end of the day, it just brings misery. It's, it's, it's suffering and misery and uh, no <coughs> happiness and no joy and no pleasure. And it's just external, it's skin deep, it's superficial, it's an illusion, that's all it is, an optical illusion. And uh, that's why we have to have the chabad, we have to have the wisdom to be able to distinguish, to be able to tell the difference between one and the other.
1: Fear is the root of one's observance of the 265 prohibited Commandments. For he will fear to rebel against the Supreme King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be he. By acting in defiance of his will, he will therefore refrain from anything that God forbade. At this level, the word fear is taken in its simple sense, trepidation before the severity of God's command.
2: Okay, so what is the motivation? What keeps a Jew from, from, from uh, transgressing with 365 prohibitions? There's so many prohibitions. Most of the Torah is prohibitions. God created a huge world, and most of it is off limits. Don't do this and don't do that, and this is wrong and that's wrong, and don't do this and this is... How does a person an earthy person living in this physical world, exposed to all the material uh, attractions of this world, how can a person restrain himself, and discipline himself and refrain from, from transgressing? What is the motivation? What is the root? The root is the fear of Hashem. If a person did not feel Hashem as a presence, as a real presence, as a king of kings, not just an abstract notion, See, to most people, Hashem is just an abstract notion, including religious Jews. I mean, I'm talking talking about including us, I'm talking about myself. Hashem is an abstract notion. It's not a reality. The person sitting across from you in the room is more real than Hashem. Because you're real. Hashem is... (laughs) You know, it's not part of the equation. It's not a reality. If someone is in the room, you're afraid, you're ashamed, you're embarrassed. Hashem is in the room. Not part of the equation. Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't stop me from doing it. Doesn't change my behavior. So, what does that tell me? Hashem doesn't even have the reality of a stranger. It's so unreal to us. But if a Jew really senses Hashem's presence and realizes Hashem, the king of kings, imagine you had the most important person in this world standing in the room with you. Einstein was standing in the room with you. The king of kings, the emperor was standing in the room with you. I mean, you would, you would. You would watch yourself. You would behave. You would act in a certain way. So the king of kings, Hashem, is standing in the room together with him and has no effect on the behavior. So a Jew who really feels the reality of Hashem is simply afraid to violate his wish. If a king of kings expressly said, this is what I want you to do and this is what I don't want you to do, do I dare do otherwise? So that's in the simplest level. That there's there's a a sense of fear. I'm not going to do something to violate the will expressed wish of Hashem, who's the king of kings. The greatest, the mightiest, the holiest, the greatest. And it's standing right there in front of him. That's on a simple level. But on a deeper level, on a far deeper level of fear. Or at a deeper level of
1: fear, that he feels ashamed before God's greatness, so that he will not rebel against the all-seeing eyes of his glory by doing what is evil in his eyes.
2: He's ashamed. He's ashamed to offend him. He's ashamed to to do anything against him. Hashem is so great, and he understands his greatness. He senses Hashem's greatness. And Hashem knows and sees and watches and cares what we do. I'm just ashamed, the person is ashamed, of rebelling against Hashem, of doing something that will displease him. So not that you're afraid that Hashem is going to hurt you or something bad, as lightning is going to strike. You're just ashamed and embarrassed from his presence. You're ashamed to do anything. Else. When you're standing in the presence of greatness, you feel humbled. You feel very ashamed. You feel embarrassed. You realize how, how insignificant you are. And, you, and how can I do something in comparison? How can I do something that will violate and go against Hashem, rebel against Hashem, displease Hashem?
1: Namely, any of the Abominable things hated by God, which are the pot and sitra achra, The other side, that which is the opposite
2: of holiness. Because Hashem loves holiness, loves everything that's nullified before Hashem, everything that's connected with Hashem. And he hates ego, he hates anything that's associated with ego and separation from Hashem and something independent of Hashem, which is the source of all the prohibitions. So how can I violate Hashem's will and do something that clearly goes against Hashem's will and desire? He's ashamed, he's embarrassed.
1: Which draw their nurture from the men below in this world, and have their hold in Him so that they be able to derive their nurture and life through Him, through His violation of the 365 Prohibitive Commandments.
2: When Hashem created the world, there was a very measured amount of vitality and energy that Hashem gave, designated for the Clipper. Because everything in this world needs divine energy in order to exist. So although Hashem hates the Clipper, but Hashem created the Klippa. And He hates ego and He created it, but He created all of it. He created it like someone throwing something behind your back that you despise, that you hate, but He created it nevertheless. But He gave it just, He threw a bone. He gave it just a little, just enough that it should exist. But when Adam sinned, when Chava sinned, they nourished it, they nurture it, because Klipa is like a, a blood sucker. Blood sucker has to suck your blood to get energy, to get vitality. It Has no energy of its own. It Has to suck your energy, suck your blood. On its own, it would die. Left on its own, it would die. But
0: we feed it constantly.
2: But we feed it. When you feed it, it grows fat, it grows this. So we have to we have to nourish it, we have to nurture it. And, um, and that's why it's the person who's the holiest, who actually nurtures the Klippa, who gives it the greatest vitality, the greatest strength. Because the holier they are, the more connected they are. When they take their holy energy and squander it and use it for, for the wrong things, they encourage Klippa, they nourish it, they nurture it. It's like one of the cancer treatments that they're working on today and with with quite a lot of success, is that they realize that they can starve the cancer cells, starve them from blood, because it needs blood cells in order to live. If you starve the blood cells, it dies, tumor dies, because there's nothing to nourish. Kalipa is like a cancer, it needs, there's nothing there, the tumor, the tumor doesn't belong in the body, it, does, it doesn't add anything to the body, it, it's, it's, but if it doesn't have any energy, it doesn't have any nourishment, it can't exist but we nourish it, we nurture it. Whenever a Jew does something wrong, whenever a Jew does a sin, we give fresh infusion of blood, of passion, of vitality to the Klippa, and it gets a new lease on life. That's why it's up to us. If every one of us refused to continue to nourish this uh, Klippa, it would cease to exist. It has no nourishment. It has no substance on its own. On its own, it's nothing. On its own, it's dead. Basically, on its own, it's, there's nothing there. It's We are the ones who, nour- who, who nourish it and nurture it. So, it's not like when we do something wrong, God punishes us. It's almost a consequence. We created all these negative energies. When you do a sin, you create a negative angel. You create a negative energy in this world, a negative impulse. When you hate, you create a negative angel. And that angel comes back to bite you. That negative energy comes back to haunt you because you're the one who created it. You're the one who nour- nourished and nurtured it. So you created all this negative energy and that negative energy is going to find its outlet in you. And it's going to take revenge on you and hurt you and punish you and become your accuser and carry out the punishment. As it says, Hua Satan? Hua are He's the Sahara, And then after he gets you to sin and you fall for him and you give him new energy, Who Satan? He goes up in heaven and becomes your your accuser, and who are Malacham others? He's the one who carries out, carries out the, uh, the, the, the terrible sentence. But it's all, you created it. We are the creators. We are in the driver's seat. We're not victims here. We are the creators. We are the actors. There's nothing else. If we would cease to nourish and to nurture it, it would cease to exist. So it's all in our hands. all up to us. When a person transgresses
1: a prohibited commandment, God forbid, he provides the klipot with additional strength and vitality. Since klipot and the sitra achra are entities which conceal godliness and holiness and are as such despised by God, the Jew therefore guards himself against transgressing. He is ashamed to transgress and give the klippot strength and life. Thus, fear of God clothes itself in the observance of prohibitive commandments. For one's fear of God enables him to withstand temptation and refrain from transgression. We now understand clearly how fear and love of God are related to the fulfillment of the commandments and how the midot are the root and life force in the performance of commandments in both action and speech.
2: So we we see now that the entire soul is engaged, involved in the mitzvot. Not only the thought, speech, and action, those are the actual uh, uh, mitzvah, but it's the intellect that's totally immersed in the thoughts of Torah, everyone based on the root of their soul to their full capacity, their capacity of understanding, maximum capacity of their understanding. Then the emotions are engaged in the mitzvah, because what's the root? What constantly nourishes the mitzvah? And motivates us to think Torah and to speak Torah and to do the mitzvah. It's the love of Hashem that causes us to pursue the 248 positive mitzvot, active mitzvot. And it's the awe of Hashem and the fear of Hashem and the shame for Hashem. How can I go against Hashem's will? How can I nurture and nourish and give new sustenance and new life, a breath of new life of, uh, to something that Hashem hates and can't stand Hashem wants to see the end of? which is clip and ego and everything that, that represented by it. So that, that will cause a Jew to refrain from doing the mitzvah. When a Jew is tempted to do a sin and he disciplines himself, he refrains himself, what is the energy behind it? It's the awe of Hashem, the sense of fear of Hashem. So the entire soul, with all its faculties, are totally expressed and engaged and invested in the mitzvah. Find full expression through the mitzvah. That's the only way the soul could really express itself could connect with Hashem, and could avoid harming that relationship or doing anything by causing Hashem to be angry or causing something that Hashem hates and to be continued. This
0: class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com